we are so, uh, let me get this mic up a little bit on the monitors. Uh, we are so grateful to be a part of, of a church that is teaching kids about Jesus. Someone shout Jesus. Someone shout Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good. Well, we want to welcome everybody to our 1230 service. And this is Chapel of Change. And we are so grateful to be a part of a church that God is moving. Has God, is God moving in anybody's life? Anybody grateful to the Lord? Today is going to be a, something different. Uh, today uh, we have different uh, pieces. But first we could turn off the music. <laughs> the music is still going on uh, up here. So our theme for this month is hope for all. Someone say hope for all. And we are learning that the birth of Jesus brings us hope for all. I, before I give the message this afternoon, uh, I invited a friend uh, to come and share a little bit of his story to demonstrate to us that there is truly hope for all. That no matter what situation you're in, no matter what predicament you've got going on, that the Lord Jesus Christ can help you. Someone shout amen. And so I want to show you this uh, first picture of me. Hopefully they have it up. This is me at about, I think, 18 or 19 years old. And it is not at a uh, nightclub. <laughs> it's actually in youth prison. And I got saved uh, after being sentenced to life in prison in the midst of a revival where young people were giving their lives to the Lord. And we made a commitment to serve God uh, in the midst of that uh, situation. And in one of the first Bible studies that I taught, probably the first Bible study in the prison uh, day room, I taught on the power in the name of Jesus, the power in the name of Jesus. And this brother was part of that study. I think it was probably 30 years ago, 25 years ago. But I remember he was part of that Bible study. And Lee, Lee, Leif, who's going to come and share... Uh, got caught up into sin as a teenager and at the age of 16 years old he was arrested and he was sentenced to life without parole life without parole I was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole like, there's gonna be a small fraction that maybe one day they're going to look at you and probably give you a second chance in life. But that wasn't Leif's uh, situation. He was sentenced to life without parole. And the reason why we're sharing this testimony before the word today is because maybe the enemy has pronounced a life without parole upon a situation in your life. Maybe you feel like you cannot be free. Maybe you feel like your marriage can't be free. Maybe you feel like your kids cannot be free. But we're here to remind you.
that there's still a God in heaven and that there's still power that comes down from heaven to set you free. There is hope for all. So with that, let's praise the Lord for Brother Leif Taylor, who's going to come and share his testimony. Come on, give some love to Brother Leif. First, I just want to say that it is truly an honor and blessing and miracle to be standing here with you guys today. Um, every morning I wake up, I'm just filled with so much gratitude and humility at what God has done in my life. And I think it's very important that I continue to share what he's not only done, but continues to do. Um, I do want to start off real quick. I know time is short and I got a lot to cover, but I wanted to share a passage with you guys um, real quick out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. And the word of God reads, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many, how many of you believe that God is able to do above and beyond what we can imagine or think? This verse has stayed with me since my, my early teenage years, and I held on to it, and I hid it in my heart, because I always knew that one day God was going to move, and he was going to move in a mighty way. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just back up real quick uh, and, and jump right into it. At the age of five, um, I first realized I didn't have a father. He wasn't present. And I used to see my friends mingle around with their dad, and their dad helped them out, fix their bikes and stuff. And it made me ask myself, where's my dad at? Why isn't my dad around? Who is my dad? And it left me confused. I remember thinking that it was my fault he wasn't there, that I either did something wrong or there was something wrong with me. And it affected how I, how I felt and thought about myself. And so I remember trying to turn to my mother for the love and acceptance, you know, the reassurance that she wanted me, and I, I didn't get it. My mother suffered from uh, alcohol addiction. And what she would do is she would often drop me off with people I didn't know so she can go out and drink. Um, and all that did was reassure, like confirm my feelings of rejection that I wasn't wanted because now she doesn't want me. She'd rather go out and drink than, you know, to have me at home with her. And, uh, as a, you know, at that age, it was hard to process this stuff. Um, I was exposed to a lot of domestic violence in the home. Uh, when my mom drank, she got real violent. Um, she, was, she had a lot of hatred towards men. And at that age, I didn't understand why. Later on, I, under, you know, I, was, I was informed that my mom had been raped when she was a young girl by her own brother. And so it explained her, drink, her drinking and trying to mask that pain because she didn't know how to cope. Um, one of the things that happened to me as a child is that we moved all the time. I could never stay in one school very long, so I would meet friends, and then we'd, we would up and leave, and then I would lose my friends. And I just remember thinking, like, my mom didn't care about me. She doesn't care how I feel. She doesn't care about my friends or anything. And the resentment that I had already developed towards my mother, uh, it just continued to fester and grow, and eventually it, it just turned into anger. Uh, at the age of 14, uh, my mom, and by the way, my mom had multiple failed relationships. Like, she could not keep a relationship for anything. Marriage, I don't know how many times she's been married. But uh, it all failed because of her drinking. And at the age of 14, I remember we were living with one of her boyfriends. And they were in the garage fighting. They were both drunk. And he finally told her, you know what? I'm tired of your crap. Get your son and get the hell out. And from there, we moved to a very um, bad area on the east side of Long Beach. It was gang and crime infested, um, predominantly Hispanic, and I'm the only white guy, you know, white kid running around in the streets. 
Um, I didn't like going outside because there was a lot of bullying going on. Um, and eventually I had to learn how to fight. I had to learn how to stick up for myself. And uh, when I did that, something happened to me that kind of like clicked. Um, the main bully, I remember we got into it and I just, I let all my anger and frustration out. And in that moment, my friends left me alone. And I realized that violence brings respect. And then respect and recognition. And these were things that I had always wanted from my own family that I never got. So all of a sudden now I enjoyed going outside because I was around people that wanted to hang out and spend time with me. They would come to my house and say, hey, you want to go hang out? You want to do this or whatever? And they're like, yeah. So um, at this time, my older brother, who was, I would say, uh, I think he's eight and a half, almost nine years older than me, he moved in with me and my mom. Um, it was really the first time I remember him being in the home. And even during this time, uh, my brother also suffered uh, from addiction. He was a meth addict. I remember trying to look to him for, you know, acceptance and, and just wanting to, you know, belong to something. And uh, he didn't have time for me. He was too busy getting high with his friends. So I just began to spend more and more time out in the neighborhood, uh, hanging around with the kid, the, my, my neighborhood friends. Um, and I eventually got into gangs. And from that, all the other bad stuff comes along with it. Um, all the gang, you know, the, my criminality began to increase. Um, I started losing friends at a young age um, to gang violence. Uh, I remember going to their funerals and burying them and just really having a hard time trying to process how, you know, just the day before they were here, I was with them and now they're gone. Like, what do you mean they're gone? Um, eventually, uh, drive-by shootings were almost a daily occurrence. Uh, eventually, all the violence around me began to make me feel numb inside. Um, there were days that I would wake up and just think to myself, like, is today my day? Is today the day that I'm going to get caught slipping? If so, when and where is it going to happen? Um, eventually, I did get shot um, at the age of 15. Um, by the grace of God, it wasn't fatal. Um, and then I went out and I got a gun. I vowed that I would never be victimized again. Um, and I just literally, like, dove headfirst into that lifestyle. Um, being white... I felt that I had to go above and beyond my friends to fit in. The acceptance and the recognition that I was getting in my mind, I had to hold on to it by continuing to lash out and get attention. And by the way, all the, the, the resentment, the anger, the hurt and pain that I felt as a child, feeling broken, um, abandoned, rejected, I wanted other people to feel that. And, you know, that kind of explains my behavior and why I was lashing out, um, you know, just destroying the community. And so at the age of 15, my mom actually walked out on me. She, uh, she and my brother got into it um, because of him bringing all his friends over to the house. She accused him of taking over her home, and she just up and left. She moved up north with some guy she, let, she had met, and it was just me and my brother. Um, shortly after that, my brother went to jail. And so I remember my friends telling me that, Look, dude, you're going to have to learn to look out for yourself because if you don't, no one else is. Um, the house, the eventually the, the, the power got turned off. There was no food in the house, uh, no hot water. And so I just ran the streets. And one of the things that we used to do um, as teenagers is we would go out and we would commit robberies and thefts and we would do what we had to to come up and, and, and get cash. So one fateful night in 1993, I decided to go out with six of my friends, and that night we, we had a gun, and we were going to go commit robberies. And re regretfully, that night we took somebody's life.
I was arrested approximately three months later. And that was the arrest that led to my incarceration. It's hard to sit here and fathom how my life got to the point where not only I was serving the devil, but I made that lifestyle okay in my mind. That I felt there was nothing wrong with going out and victimizing people, destroying neighborhoods, communities, and even entire families. It's something that, to this day, it doesn't sit well with me. And uh, so at 16 years old, I get arrested, and I get tried as an adult. And ultimately, I'm convicted and sentenced to life without parole. At that age, you don't, like, I know when people would get incarcerated and go to jail, it was for a certain amount of time. There was usually a number in front of how many years you got, you know, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, or whatever. And my sentence didn't have any numbers in front of it, and it really took about eight years before it dawned on me that I was never getting out of prison. And prior to being sent off, though, I remember getting one last visit from my mother and my grandmother, and... They left, not knowing if they were going to see me again, and they cried, and I remember going back to my room, and I just, I had so much hurt and pain built up, that I just, I got, I fell on my knees and I cried out. I said, Lord, I can't do this, like, I'm sorry, it's too much for me to handle. If you have a plan for my life, I need you to show me, because if you don't, I'm checking out. I was ready just to take my own life at 16, and, uh. The very next day, I'll never forget, there was a staff member that came to my room, and he was a Christian, and he pulled me out, out of the blue, and just asked me if I wanted to have a Bible study, and I was like, in that moment, I was like, only God would do something like that, especially after what had just happened. And God continued doing this throughout my incarceration, surrounding me by the right people, um, basically reassuring me that he was there, that he had me. And it gave me a lot of comfort, and we read in the New Testament, about a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it was that peace that I had during that whole time. And I was just so grateful that not only for my salvation, that, you know, God stepped out of heaven, came to earth, and paid a debt that he didn't owe, but that he was able to give me eternal life. And just knowing that, that when he comes back, that I know where I'm going. And that's all that mattered to me throughout my incarceration. And so I just focused on his will for my life. I kind of looked at myself as a flower that had been planted. A flower doesn't get to choose where it's planted. The only thing the flower can do is grow where it's been planted. And that's what I did. Um, I just grew in the Lord every day. I got closer to him. I was serving him. And, and just, you know, it was important for me to, you know, he laid down his life for me. I felt it was important for me to lay down my life for him now. And so, what ended up happening was there was, a, there was a lot of legislation going on that had to do with juveniles being sentenced to life without parole. And ultimately, uh, things started forming and shaping. And what California did was they took a look at every, you know, there was over 300 of us in California that had been tried as adults, sentenced to life without parole, and what they did is, is they ultimately passed a bill that gave us an opportunity after 25 years to appear before a parole board, kind of like in Pastor Brian's uh, situation. And so, 
because I already had the 25 years in, I was actually the first person in the state of California to not only have my parole hearing, but to also be found suitable. And one, one of the things that I'll never forget is, is these commissioners are retired law enforcement officials. They've been dealing with the criminal justice system their whole life. So you're not going to go in there and get, get over on them. And I remember going in there, they had my file open, and they know more about you than you probably know about yourself. And they looked at my disciplinary history, it was clear. They looked at my confidential section, there was nothing there. And I had nothing but certificates and programming inside my file. And the thing was is that the guys that, that have life without parole, they don't, we, don't, we don't get to go to groups and, 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 and get classes and all this stuff because we're never going home. They would rather save those spots for people that have a chance to go home. So the commissioners were like, how did you get all this? And not only how did you get it, why would you bother wasting your time doing this if you knew you were never going home? And I told the commissioners, you know what? First and foremost, that is just an example of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And the second thing I told them was, it was important for me that I didn't die in prison the same person I went in as. And that just opened a whole door for a conversation. And, you know, they wanted to know what kind of person, you know, was that. And, and, and you know, and I, and I told them I was very immature. I was selfish. I was reckless. I had a disregard for the law, authority, people's rights, you know, and even human life. And so at the end of that hearing, um, they called me back in and they told me, you know what, Mr. Taylor, this was an easy decision for us. And they said, uh, you know, from, from the moment you sat down, you were likable. We were very impressed with the way you came across. We were very impressed with the things that you, you talked about. And uh, we need you to go out there and we need you to help people. And so, on January 30th of 2019, I walked out. And one of the things that I had always told my, my family was, you know, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know who. And in that moment, they got to see my God in action. And so I think it's important that, you know, I want to leave you guys with this. Oh, and by the way, I wasn't sentenced to life without parole one time. But I was sentenced twice, and the reason being is in 2004, I had been granted relief by the federal courts. My entire conviction had been vacated, and my sentence was tossed out. I went back to court. I had two more trials. The third trial, I lost, and I was resentenced to life without parole and sent right back to prison to do it all over again. And one of the things I told my family when they turned their back on God in that moment, I said, you know what? I didn't come to God to get out of prison. I said, God hardened Pharaoh's heart 10 times before he let the Israelites go. If he wants to put me through 10 public open trials, then that's his business. It's not for me to question. And so I want to leave you guys with this. Um, in the Old Testament, we read about how Moses led the Israelites out of bondage and out of slavery. And even though they murmured and complained and griped along the way and they got to the point of the Red Sea, and they turned around and they seen Pharaoh pursuing after them. You know, I can imagine the, how hopeless they felt in that, in, in that moment. And, and, and 
just having the despair of, you know, Moses bringing them out there to die like that. And it kind of represents how I felt as a child, you know, just having no hope, um, having nothing but despair, feeling lost, broken. And in that moment, it wasn't over. You know, we, God had, God, our God that we serve has massive skills. Like, he knows how to move when it's time. And as we know, the waters parted and the Israelites were brought across into the, eventually into the promised land. And so, I just want to share this. No matter what your, your situation may be right now, no matter how hopeless, gloomy, or dark it may appear, just know that our God is still in the business of parting the Red Sea. And just like he did for me, when, when, when I was in a, what seemed like a, a, a hopeless and impossible situation when man said, you, you will never see these streets again. You will forever be unfit to walk into society. Um, God said no. And he part, he, as he parted the Red Sea, he also parted those prison walls and brought me out. And what he did for me, he can also do for you. So just stay encouraged and know that he's got us. He's got our back. And if we do have to go through something, whether it's a trial, an adversity, or whatever, it's, look at it as an opportunity and a moment to grow. Because as we know, diamonds are formed under pressure. And I was under pressure for 26 years. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And for that, I got to give him all the glory. So thank you. Thank you. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He still parts the Red Seas. He still parts the Red Seas. Man, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I, you know, uh, Leif, you reminded me. I remember now. I don't know if you caught that. He got sentenced to life without parole twice or three times, he said. But I remember that. I remember you went back out to the court, and they retried you. And I thought there was going to, I thought God was moving then, and he was. But I thought you were going to go home then. But imagine being sentenced to life without parole twice. Ah, man. Thank the Lord God Almighty. Thank the Lord God Almighty. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. He's still on the throne. And his power is still real. Praise the Lord. We praise God. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, which you should, this is church. Uh, to turn to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. And as you're turning to 1 John chapter 3, uh, as a reminder to those that are part of Chapel of Change, this today we're going to be giving our Christ's birthday offering, Christ's birthday offering. And every year we give a sacrificial offering unto the Lord during Christmas time in honor of Jesus' birthday. We remind ourselves that this is not our birthday, it's Jesus' birthday. And also, we're thankful that we're, gonna, we're building a media center right here at our Paramount location where we're going to impact the world with the gospel through recorded video, preaching videos, worship videos, editing our radio ministry, and you have an opportunity to invest in that. Ain't no better investment than something that has eternal effect. No better investment than that. 
So at the end of our service, I want to encourage you to give your best gift unto the Lord. And then lastly, we have uh, Christmas bulletins. Make sure you get one. And it has all our Christmas gatherings. We're having uh, three Christmas Eve services this Friday, starting off here at 7 p.m., 7 p.m. at our uh, Carson Campus, 8.15 and 10.30 at our Carson Campus. 10.30 is our Christmas or Coffee House Christmas service. We're going to have different expressions of the art, spoken word, music, and stuff like that. It's going to be a powerful time, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper at every service. And then uh, one Christmas Day service at our Carson campus, 12 noon, uh, where every child gets a free gift on Christmas Day. That's at our uh, Carson campus. But get this bulletin. Invite somebody. Pass this out. Invite somebody to church. Now, we have been studying from the subject, hope for all. Hope for all. And the big idea uh, for today is that Jesus uh, gives us hope for all. That the birth of Jesus gives us hope for all. And we're reminding ourselves that Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Right? We're reminding ourselves about that. Uh, why are you guys looking at me funny? I'm not hating on Santa Claus. He's a cool dude. He's all right. But nothing should replace Jesus. I was in the mall yesterday, and I was shocked that I overheard a mother uh, telling her five-year-old son, did you ask Santa for that gift? Don't forget to ask Santa. In other words, don't forget to pray to Santa for that gift. And I, was, I wasn't ear hustling. I wasn't ear hustling. It was just, I heard it. And the reason why we need to remind ourselves about the meaning of Christmas is because the enemy is so slick. He covers up the meaning of Christmas so good that after all this month in December where the whole world is talking about Christmas, there still will be some people on January 1st that don't know the meaning of Christmas. Think about that. We're going to go through this whole month. You're going to see Christmas jingle bells, trees, snow. And there will still be some people on January 1st that do not know the meaning of Christmas. And that's why we have to remind ourselves the real meaning of Christmas. It's not about Santa Claus. He's all right, but it's not about Santa Claus. It's not about a reindeer. I'm not hating on Rudolph. If Rudolph is cool with me. But we shall not replace Jesus. It's not happy holidays without Jesus. I said it's not happy holidays without Jesus. And the Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus brings us hope for all. Someone say hope for all. In fact, our mission of our church is to give fresh hope to this hurting world. That's the mission of our church. That's why we exist. We exist to fight discouragement, fight depression, fight brokenness with the fresh hope of King Jesus and his kingdom. That's why we worship. That's why we serve. That's why we teach kids about Jesus. That's why we testify. That's why we exist and we're not dead. 
In fact, we give fresh hope by many ways. We, our church gives fresh hope by multiple ways. Last Yesterday, Saturday, we had a crew of our church go to the local hospital, and on the patio, they worshiped the Lord, and they prayed for people that will be in the hospital during Christmas Day. That's fresh hope on the front lines right there. Had a worship service on the patio of the hospital, praying for those that will not be with their family during this Christmas time. That's the part, that's the church that you're part of. We on the front lines with fresh hope. We get fresh hope through multiple ways. About two weeks ago, a crew uh, from our church uh, flew to Guatemala, and they traveled to a village uh, kind of deep in the jungle, a poor village, and they blessed that jungle, or not jungle, but blessed that village with fresh hope, including one of our youth leaders, Jonathan. That's a picture of him right there. 95 families in that village received a food basket. 200 children received a toy and school supplies and a blanket. Hello, somebody. One family received a solar panel over their hut so that their daughter can go to school in the middle of the jungle. Hello, somebody. That's fresh hope on the front lines. Pray for us. Uh, God willing, me and Brother Martin, Pastor Martin, are going to go to Guatemala early next year. And uh, our prayer is that our church uh, goes there at least once a, a year. And we send teams over there. And we, we build, hopefully, schools. We build churches. Maybe we put some solar panels on some additional uh, homes. But we want to give fresh hope. Someone yell out, fresh hope. We're excited about that opportunity. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It reads, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, that's speaking of his second coming, we shall be like him. Let me give you a side thought for a second. I'm surprised at how many people don't have a proper understanding of eternity, eternity. And this is just a side thought, that so many people wrongfully believe that when Christians die, uh, we become like angels. You ever heard that? They receive their angel wings. You ever heard that? Did you know that this walk with God is a walk of transformation? And that the moment that you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a journey of transformation where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. And the Bible teaches that when he appears, it says right here, that when he appears on the second coming, that we will be like him. Hello, somebody. Why would I want to be demoted into an angel? That's just a sidebar. Go back to the word. 
for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Verse 5 is our main verse for today. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Let me read that again. Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. We pray for revelation that we might have illumination, that we might live in transformation. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Last week, if you were with us, we taught uh, from the broad subject, hope for all, but specifically we got into hope over rejection. Hope over rejection. And we taught that at salvation, Jesus uh, accepts you into his family, that you become children of God. And in all our services last weekend, somebody got delivered from the spirit of rejection. People got, came forward, and we learned that the spirit of rejection is often the root of our bondage in life, but that the spirit of the Lord can break the spirit of rejection uh, in our life. And I got, a, I got a, a message from a lady who asked, she said, Brian, are you guys having a special deliverance service at Chapel of Change this weekend? Because, uh, see, the word is getting out. I said the word is getting out. They're hearing that there's power at Chapel of Change. They're hearing that there's deliverance at Chapel of Change. And this lady asked me, she said, are you guys having a special deliverance service this weekend at Chapel of Change? And I uh, responded by saying, hey, listen, you ain't got to wait for a special service to get delivered. You can come to Chapel of Change and we'll lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. We laying hands on people every day. You ain't got to wait for a special service. So we learned last week that we have hope over rejection. But today, I want us to reflect on that we have hope over sin. Hope over sin. That's what the scripture says. It says we know that he was manifested uh, to take away our sins. And that's talking about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now to appreciate our hope over sin, we must first understand the corruption and the consequences to sin. Are you following along? To appreciate our hope over sin, you must first understand the consequences and the corruption of sin. In other words, you're not going to appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. There is bad news. And you cannot skip over the bad news. This is the reason why we have lots of Christians around the world that don't worship the way that they should worship because they want to skip over the bad news. But in order to appreciate the good news, you got to understand the bad news. And so today in our study, I'm going to get to the good news, I promise you, but i got to spend some time 
unpacking the bad news. And I'm going to give you a, a crash course on theology 101 in sin, the subject of sin. Are you following along? When you think about sin, the literal definition of sin means to miss the mark. Someone say miss the mark. That's the literal definition of sin. It means uh, sin is not living up to God's standard. Sin is not living up to God's standard. Remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we taught about how you're not supposed to lower the rim. Remember we learned that, how the rim in basketball represents the standard of God. And remember I taught you one day I lowered the rim and I started to dunk and I thought I was doing something but I wasn't doing nothing. And that's how a lot of people are in this world. They lower the rim and they start dunking. They say, look at me, look at me, I'm doing something. No, you're not. You lowered the rim. Sin is lowering the rim. Sin is violating God's standard. It's violating God's uh, expectation. Sin is the opposite of God and the opposite of good. I said sin is the opposite of God and the opposite of good. But can I take you deeper? Sin is not just behavior. Sin is a virus. Sin is not just behavior. If all you do is treat your bad behavior, you're going to stay on the surface of what sin is because sin goes deeper than behavior. Sin is a spiritual virus that drives our rebellious behavior. Sin is a spiritual virus that drives our rebellious behavior. And we are all born with this selfish desire to sin. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many times you, you, you pray a day. I don't care how much religious titles you have uh, before you. We all have this dark side to us that the Bible refers to as the sin nature. We all have this dark side to us that the Bible refers to sin nature. And the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 7. Listen to this. He says, I feel I'm a slave to my sinful desires. I don't even understand the things I do. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the wrong things I don't want to do. I can't help myself because of my sinful nature within me. Wow, that described a battle going on. That described a war going on. And that was somebody who wrote the Bible. <laughs> that was somebody who wrote the Bible that was transparent enough to, to reveal that this sin nature, if left unchecked, will drive us to the dirt. Hello, somebody. And everyone knows that we have this sin nature, especially if you're a parent to little kids. Because you got little examples of them running around the house. As, as pretty as my little daughter is, right? Nobody had to teach her how to lie. As pretty as she is, nobody had a teacher to want the biggest piece of the pie. Who taught her that? I didn't teach her that. Her mama didn't teach her that. They ain't teaching that at, children, at Chapel Chain Children's Ministry. I know that for sure. Some will get fired. You ain't got to teach nobody that. It's inside of them. They're born with it. We're born with it. That's called the sin nature. That's the dark side of humanity right there. And we need to understand that sin corrupts everything. I said sin corrupts everything. 
And let me remind us that the world today is not how God originally created it. The world today is not how God originally created it. When God originally created the world in Genesis, he created this world with peace without chaos, love without hate, and joy without sorrow. That was the original intention and purpose of God's creation. Joy without sorrow, love without hate, peace without chaos. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that moment sin began to corrupt everything. The moment that they chose their will over God's will, sin began to corrupt everything. And it was not long after that that spouses begin to turn on spouses, brothers begin to turn on brothers, and people begin to turn on the God that created them, the God that crowned them with love and mercy. We begin to turn on God and reject God and kick God out of this world. And we wonder why this world is all messed up today is because we kicked God out of it. Look at the corruption of sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. Someone say death. Death is the opposite of life. Death speaks of corruption. And all things that bring death also brings corruption. Sin corrupts everything about us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, it says those who will live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death. Sin corrupts our relationship with God. You cannot just give yourself to sin and expect God to move heaven and earth for you. You cannot just give yourself to sin and expect God to open doors for you. You cannot just give yourself to sin and expect God to bless you. Isaiah 59, it says, and it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Sin corrupts our relationship with God. Sin also corrupts our relationship with one another. It corrupts our relationship with one another. Uh, next year, to the glory of God, uh, Laura and I will, be ha will have been married 25 years uh, next year to the glory of God. And uh, we've been journeying together since the age of 13, 12, 13 years old in life. And let me tell you something. When I sin against her, either in attitude or speech, I feel it. I may not know when I did it, but you feel it in the atmosphere. You just know. You wake up the next morning and something is off. Hello, somebody. Come on, don't leave me out here by myself. You may not know what you did, but you know it was done. Because sin corrupts relationships. Sin also corrupts our thinking. I am so surprised at so much unhealthy thought patterns in people today. So much unhealthy thought patterns in people today. And the root of that is sin. The root of that is sin. Sin will mess up your thinking so bad it'll have you call hell your home. 
It'll mess up your thinking so bad, it'll, call, it'll cause you to call hell your home. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago when we invaded San Quentin State Prison to preach the fresh hope of the gospel. I was in the middle of that yard with them 2,000 prisoners, and I began to talk to some of them. And one of them came and gave me his story. He began to tell me how he was sentenced to life in prison. He did 20 years. He got released. He did another robbery, got sentenced to life again, and now he knows he's going to die in prison. He knows he's never going to get out in prison. And he turns around to me and he says, man, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I was thinking in my mind, well, that's not okay. <laughs> that is not okay. You may be okay, but that is not okay. Sin will corrupt your mind. Have you call hell your home? And sin will corrupt our peace and our joy. Can I take you deeper? Sin is a killer. Sin and death go together. James the Apostle warned us in chapter 1, verse 15. He said, our evil desires make us sin, and when sin is finished with us, it leaves us dead. Leaves us dead. See, a lot of stuff inside of me dies when I sin. A lot of stuff inside of me dies when I sin. Sin kills my passion for God. Sin kills my passion for prayer. Sin kills my identity. There's so many people walking around this world in an identity crisis. You know why? You could trace it down to sin, killing who they are. Sin kills my passion for church and worship. Have you ever done something like you know you're not supposed to do on a Saturday night, and you woke up on Sunday morning and said, I don't want to go to church today. Come on, somebody. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Because you if you give yourself to sin, it will kill your passion for church. We need to understand that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. Sin has devastating consequences. Sin causes depression. Sin causes divorce. Sin causes anxiety. Sin causes shame. Sin causes burdens to weigh down on our back that we end up being like spiritual hunchbacks of Notre Dame walking through this world with our face shoved into the dirt because of the sin, the burden that's on our back. Can I take you deeper? Sin is also an invitation for demonic influence. Sin is invitation for demonic influences. If you give yourself to a particular sin, soon you'll be wrestling with the spirit of that sin. It starts off as a behavior, but then it ends up with spiritual enslavement to that sin. Jesus taught in John chapter 8 that verily truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if you give yourself to lust, eventually you're going to be wrestling with the spirit of lust. If you give yourself to anger, soon you'll be enslaved to the spirit of anger. If you give yourself to alcohol, eventually you will be wrestling with the spirit of alcohol. Starts off as a behavior, but it ends up with a spirit. Why do you think on liquor stores they call alcohol spirits? 
Hello, somebody. I'm trying to open up somebody's eyes. Next time you drive by that liquor store, look, most of the liquor stores will say spirits. Come and get your evil spirit and drink it all up. And have you ever noticed when you open up that can, there's this noise that goes, Chh. you ever notice that? Chh. You just done released the spirit into your life. Let's drink it up. We're just going to drink it up and drink it up. And then you wonder why you turn into another individual. I met so many people. Listen, I've been to hell and back. I met so many people that opened up that can. And they woke up the next day in the L.A. County Jail. Woke up the next day in the L.A. County jail. Didn't know what they did. Didn't know who they killed. Didn't see the red light that they passed and caused an accident. And you know what's cold about that? Is that they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison not knowing what they did. That's cold. I don't even know what I did. I don't even know what happened 30 years later. I still, what did you do? All I remember was, The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. I think about my own testimony. I think about my own life. I want to show you a picture of me when I was about six years old holding the hand of my great-grandfather. In fact, I get my middle name Reyes from him, who his name was Ignatius Reyes. And I remember that during this time, and when I was a little bit older, too, my mom was raising four boys and one girl. And she got us involved in baseball. And we were like a baseball type of family. We would go all the way to Lomita Little League, and we would play baseball. And she was a baseball mom. And we would sell licorice at the baseball little store. We even spent the night at the little store one time because we were a baseball family. And I, at this time, I did not imagine that I would eventually do 16 years in prison. At this time, I did not imagine that eventually I would be responsible for killing somebody. I wasn't going to baseball, hitting the ball, and say, I better hit this ball because eventually I'm going to go to prison. No, could not imagine that. I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to, I just wanted to party. I just wanted to get high. I didn't, I, I didn't want to do anything necessarily against anybody. I just, I just wanted to party. I just wanted to hear the sound. See, that's what the devil does to get us there. He feeds us lies just to get us there. Because if he could just get us there, he'll take, us, he'll take control after that. 
So he gets us there. I just, I just, I just want to party. I just want to have fun. I just, that's all I want to do. And I put my foot in and end up slipping in and breaking my neck. That's why the old folks used to preach. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will keep you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. The, the good news is, the good news is that the birth of Jesus reminds us that we have hope over sin. That's the good news, that we have hope over sin. That's what the scripture says. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And that word take away means to lift up. It means to carry away. It means to remove that, that the birth of Jesus removes our sin, the, the, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus removes the power of sin off of our life. It removes the burden of sin off of our life. You remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus? He said, behold, look, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. What is that? It's God's solution for our sin. Jesus is God's solution for our sin. Not the world's sin, because the sin will send you to, or the world will send you to a psychotherapist, some of y'all. <laughs> but Jesus is our solution for sin. And Jesus removes the penalty of sin. He removes the penalty of sin. You know that there's eternal consequences for sin? There's eternal consequences for sin. The Bible calls it hell. The Bible calls it eternal fire. The Bible calls it the lake of fire. And I think uh, we, in our generation, we need to hear more preaching on hell. That there is eternal consequences uh, to our sin. And the Bible describes hell as a prison filled with people weeping and gnashing their teeth in complete darkness, unquenchable fire, and unbearable torment. That's not a place you want to go. That's not a place you want to be. Thanks be to God. That the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus removes the penalty of sin. For the Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Jesus also removes the power of sin. The power of sin. Romans chapter 6 says, for sin shall no longer be your master. See, in Jesus we are freed from the power of sin. See, those who call upon the name of Jesus will receive salvation. Those who live for Jesus will receive transformation. Those who call upon the name of Jesus will receive salvation. Those that live for Jesus will receive transformation. And as you are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, he simultaneously gives you power over the sin that once dominated your life. God begins to transform us from the inside out. He begins to transform our likes and our dislikes. He begins to transform our attitudes and our moods. Hello, somebody. And a new person begins to emerge from within us. A new life begins to emerge from within us. 
And eventually, as we continue to be transformed by the power of God, the Lord begins to give us the power to control the sin that used to control us. The life of God that is birthed inside of us begins to emerge. And I think about our brother Leif who gave his testimony. The brother said that he was that they pronounced life without parole over his life two times, even three times. They made that judgment over his life. But I'm here to remind you that there's power in eternal life. There's power in the abundant life that Jesus gives. And as that brother began to serve the Lord and as he began to be transformed, the abundant life that was inside of him began to cancel out the life without parole that was outside of him. And now he is living a free man today because Jesus removes the power of sin. You may feel stuck in a certain behavior today. You may be, feel stuck in a certain lifestyle today. You may feel like you cannot stop sinning today, but there is hope for a new person to emerge from within you. There is hope for a new life to emerge from within you. There is hope in Jesus to overcome the sin that used to overcome you. And can I testify today? It feels good to live free. It feels good to be free to be the person that God has called me to be. It feels good not to be ran down to the dirt. It feels good that I get to be all that God has called me to be. It feels good. The Bible says you have that opportunity too. Those who call upon the name of Jesus shall receive salvation. Those who live for Jesus will receive transformation. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what God offers us. Let's bow our heads in the presence of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Hallelujah. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Just for a couple moments, I want us to reflect upon the word of the Lord. What was God trying to get across to you? What was God saying to you? Jesus lifts up, he carries away and removes the penalty and power of sin from our lives. That's good news. That's fresh hope. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever lives for the Lord will be transformed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just think about the word of the Lord this afternoon. Maybe there's someone in here who's not right with God. Maybe you're not right with God and you need to get right with God. Maybe you feel the presence of the Lord tugging upon your heart today. The Bible teaches when you hear the voice of the Lord, do not turn the other way, but respond to God. If there's someone here today that needs to get right with God. I want to pray with you right where you're at. But if you sense that's you, if you sense that God has given you another chance and you want to take advantage of that opportunity, if you need to get right with God, I want to invite you to stand up on your feet right where you're at and I'll pray with you. Anybody needs to get right with God, I see you in the back. I see you in the back. Anyone else who needs to get right with God, I see you in the back. I see you. I see you. The Lord is moving. 
The Spirit of the Lord is moving. God is in this house. We're going to respond to the grace of God today. We'll wait a couple more moments. If there's anybody else who needs to surrender to the Lord, stand to your feet. Respond to the grace of God. Hallelujah, I see you. Hallelujah, I see you. There is hope for a new person to emerge. Hope for a new person to emerge. Hope for a new life to emerge. We'll wait one more moment. Anybody else needs to respond to God today? Get right with God. Live for God. Stand to your feet right now. Hallelujah. I see you. For those of you who stood up, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender. I'm going to ask that you say this with your heart. Say this with me from your heart. Lord God, I am sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. Today, I turn from my sins and I turn back to you. Today, I surrender to you. Help me, Lord, to serve you. Help me, Lord, to follow after you. Jesus, come into my heart as my Savior and my King. I receive you. I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let me... Let me pray. Remain standing for a moment. I want to pray. I want to pray for all those who stood up. I'm just going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for those who stood up. Lord, you know what they're going through, but they stood up for you right now. I pray that you fill them with love. I pray that you fill them with power. I pray that you fill them with thirst for you. I pray that they seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Help them, O Lord God. Draw them closer to you, Lord God. Help them, O Lord God. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Praise. You may be seated. If you stood up today, I want to encourage you to get plugged into the church. We have an awesome women's ministry, and we have an awesome men's ministry. You got to get plugged into a smaller group. We have small groups throughout the week, whether on Zoom or in person. I encourage you to get information and get plugged in. Because as you get plugged in, more transformation takes place. Someone shout amen. Someone shout amen. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. The Bible teaches that the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. The angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. We just threw a party in heaven right now. Come on, somebody. We just threw a party in heaven. Praise the Lord. We are going to prepare uh, to transition to give our Christ birthday offering today. And I want to uh, encourage us as we prepare to give that we give out of a spirit of gratitude and appreciation. Gratitude and appreciation. Uh, that is the spirit by which we give out of because God has been good to us. Has God been good to anybody lately? Has God been merciful to anybody lately? So I want to I want to call the ushers up forward as we prepare to give. If you're watching online, you can prepare to give too. Uh, you can give online. There's going to be several ways that you can give today. Uh, you can give through the envelope that is in back of one of those chairs, and you can put your offering in the bucket. And 
or after service, there is a debit machine in the back. You can give through a debit machine. You can give through your debit card after service in the lobby. Uh, or you can give online. If you're watching online, you can give at chapelofchange.org. Uh, there is a way to give by your phone. Also, you go to our webpage and uh, you text chapel to that number that is available. But we want to give out of appreciation uh, to the Lord. So this is a special offering that we give, our Christ's birthday offering. And I'm going to share with you what our family does as a tradition the last couple years is we take our kids... We got three kids, 12-year-old boy, 10-year-old girl, 7-year-old girl, and we sit around the table and we say, okay, we're going to prepare our hearts to give our Christ's birthday offering. And we explain to them the meaning of giving. We explain to them that Jesus taught it's better to give than to receive. We explain to them the principle, the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. We explain to them how Jesus taught, as much as you give, you will receive. As much as you give, you will receive. But we're also trying to break the back of greed in their life. Because everybody has that greediness. And every time we give unto the Lord... We break the back of the spirit of greed that tries to hold us down. Every time we give unto the Lord, we break the back of greed. Now, we teach at Chapel of Change that it's not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. It's not equal giving. Everybody's at different stages and phases in our life. So we never compare giving to one another. The key is sacrifice. Are we giving a sacrifice unto the Lord? Remember the Magi, when they came to the baby Jesus, what did they do? They gave an offering. They gave an offering to Jesus. So I want to encourage you to sacrifice today. As you prepare to give, a couple announcements to give. Don't forget this Thursday, we're finishing off our Armor of God Bible study. Uh, this Thursday, right here in the sanctuary at 715 Youth Ministry as well as Children's Ministry. Uh, that's happening as well. Uh, we are looking for people to serve as part of our host team, ushers and greeters. So if you want to serve, we encourage you to sign up in the lobby. Also, we're looking for people to serve, uh, particularly ladies to serve in our children's ministry. Uh, we're going to be opening up our nursery next year. And so we need uh, volunteers that will help set up, volunteers that will help Pastor Bo and Tammy uh, with the children's ministry. Pray about that, uh, giving back in that regard. If you know anybody who uh, needs to hear the testimony today or the message today, uh, We'll be giving the same testimony and the same message tonight at 4.30 at our Carson campus. I want to encourage you to text somebody, invite them to go to our Carson campus tonight so that they can hear the testimony of Fresh Hope. And don't forget, this Friday, three Christmas Eve services. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, 7 p.m. here, 8.15 Carson, 10.30 uh, Carson, where we're going to worship the Lord on Christmas Eve. So... We're going to pray over the offering, we're going to collect the offering, and then I'll come back and dismiss with a blessing. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the ability to give. We worship you through this offering. Receive these funds for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let us give unto the Lord.
baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Do you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Let's stand to our feet to receive the blessing of the Lord. I want to invite our uh, pastors to come to the altar. If you need special prayer after service, you're invited to come down and share your request with our pastors, and they will pray for you. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord as we uh, dismiss with a blessing. In the name of the Father who loves you with an endless love, in the name of the Son who died that you could live, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who gives you power over sin, may you go this week with the protection and the blessing of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hope to see you Thursday or Friday. Go in peace.